0: 10 Reasons Why You Should Enjoy the Age of Apocalypse, and 38 Reasons You Shouldn't. You're listening to The Run. This is the dawning of the Age of Apocalypse, Age of Apocalypse, on the run. Podcast. Hi, hello. We're back again. You're listening to The Run, a comic book podcast about comic book runs, be it characters, creators, or sagas. I'm your host, David Boyce. And with me, always, Jonathan Kovacs. How are you doing?
1: Uh, living through the COVID uh, epidemic, but I'm okay otherwise. All right.
0: And Christopher Boyce?
2: I'm uh, Same, but thriving. It's great.
0: We are currently reading the Age of Apocalypse Saga, if you didn't read the description whatsoever. We're coming to the end of Or if of you it. forgot
1: forgot what we were doing, because <laughs> yeah. it's
0: been forever. Yes. Well, I mean, it was a few weeks since last episode. But we are looking at, which is essentially the end of the Age of Apocalypse Saga proper. Astonishing X-Men, Amazing X-Men, and X-Men Omega. Guys, initial thoughts on these bookended stories.
1: Astonishing was really, really good, I thought.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: One of the better ones. Uh, It was similar to Generation X for the most part, I thought, Mm -hmm. other than the first issue. Amazing ties up some things. And then X-Men Omega does what it's supposed to do, but it does it in a really sloppy mess.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I will pretty much second that. It's... It's it's very strange. I feel like this was supposed to be like the meat and potatoes of the Age of Apocalypse, and it just kind of was meh
0: at best. It's it was absolutely like these are the main stories. Astonishing X Men took over Uncanny X Men, and Amazing X Men took over objectiveless X Men. So these were the two flagship books, which you would think the most important stuff would happen. But it's it's honest. I'm honestly amazed. I wasn't kidding about that opener. I go back and look at all these retrospectives on the Age of Apocalypse over this past week, and everyone says that it's very glowing. And while some of the stories were okay, it's it just... I don't know, man. These stories were just... Our
1: retrospectives or other people's retrospectives? Others.
0: Just everyone... Whenever you... I was looking for clickbait earlier, and people were talking about 10 great... X-Men crossovers and three that are bad, which I I don't know why you're going to put that in there, but it just seems like everyone always says that the age of apocalypse is the gold standard. And I think the people that write that or say that haven't read this since 1995 personally. I,
1: I think we've discussed this a couple different times. The age of apocalypse is the gold standard of not so much writing, but ideas and the way to throw Crazy shit at the wall and let it stick. You know what I mean? The, the fact that they were able, to pull, yeah, that they were able to pull off this crazy shift of the books and and just go, boom! Here's the main X Men titles for four months. This is what you got. This is what happened. This we did this, and this is it. I think that if you and we've also discussed this, I would love to see a really good writer go back and honestly flesh out five, ten years worth of stories before this stuff ended and honestly in my opinion they could really do a good job of re they could hit all the hot the points the major points in these in like especially alpha and omega but they could redo it it could be done a lot better um you know there's a lot of good stuff here there's a lot of good ideas here let's put it that way but i'll be honest when i was reading x-men omega and i went back and i looked at it and i saw that mark wade did did it and i'm like are you effing kidding me yeah, like, it, this must be like early in his career because I'm like, uh, uh, you know, I'm holding my holding Mark Waite up to the standards of Daredevil and here comes Daredevil and all the other stuff that he's written recently. And I'm I'm like, unless it was just that he got this pile of mess and he had to make it work is what it, my guess would be, too. But it's still it's I, don't know.
2: I would say because, yeah, it's still pretty early in his career um, and he definitely doesn't have enough pull as much as he does now, probably with editorial. So like. You know, he had to make it work the best he could, and I don't fault him for it. I just kind of fault the times, if I'm being quite honest, because it's just it's so 90s, like almost everything about it. It's
1: oh, like, it, yeah,
2: Yeah. I mean, we as we all know, the, the, the stereotype for 90s comics is Youngblood's. So we rip on all the time. But like if you can't see the inspiration between one and the other, it's like he has to be blind. It's crazy
0: to give Wade credit. He only did the dialogue. Lode, Scott Lobdell did the uh, storyboarding for X Men Omega, and since we're kind of
1: can you can you answer that? What does that mean? I don't know what that means.
0: Um, that means whenever you see someone that does a storyboarding and then someone that does dialogue, essentially the storyboarder hits the notes. He's like, we have to have this, 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 and this happen in this order. You just write in the word bubbles.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's, like, that's what I was. Saying. I need. Okay, I, I...
0: I needed a fight with the Magneto and Apocalypse. I need Rogue to say sugar. And I need Wolverine to fight someone. So then the dialogue guy will go ahead and fill all that in for him. So okay. while it's not completely Mark Wade's fault for this lackluster story, I mean, he, he can only do the dialogue for whatever editorial and Scott Lobdell did. So we're all talking about these in a collective way. Let me just get the teams out there. Because there's really, like our last episode, how we glommed all those issues together. There's really not too much going on here, but they kind of work hand in hand. Astonishing X-Men... Was written by Scott Lobdell with art by Joe Maduria, and Jeff Loeb did dialogue for the third issue. For some reason, I don't know what that was. Maybe time was catching up, and they just needed to pass that off to someone. I didn't really notice any Jeff Loebness in that issue, personally. But whatever.
1: yeah, honestly, I didn't even honestly, I didn't think it. I didn't even realize until you just said that because I thought like I said, no, we'll keep going. But I didn't notice that either.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't see any Terminator references in there either. I always look for those, like I mentioned last episode, <laughs> and then. Amazing X-Men has Fabian Nicieza got at that time and Andy Kuber on art. And then X-Men Omega was Scott Lovedell, And then we mentioned that Mark Wade did the dialogue and Johnson's favorite artist, Roger Cruz did art for that. Oh. I, it's really amazing that Roger Cruz was the close, the opener and the closer for this. I could have sworn when I originally read this, this was Joe Madureira, but
1: I think we all thought that because he did the cover for it and his artwork looks similar
0: to Midoriya. Oh, absolutely. It just, it looks like Rush but as Midoriya. A, and, I,
1: and I feel like as a kid, we wouldn't have been able to really notice the difference, I'm going to say.
0: Yeah. And, oh, I was
2: really excited looking at the cover of Omega, at least the one that I have. It was uh,
1: John Ramada.
2: John Romita. And uh, inked by Klaus Jensen, and it looked really fucking cool. And I'm like, all oh, right. And then you open it up, and it's like, oh, what the shit?
0: Yeah, that that cover was a cock tease when you had Ramita Jr.'s art there, and then you just open it up to lackluster-looking manga art. And, yeah, it was disappointing, to say the least. So, Astonishing X-Men, this is the flagship title, supposed to be the flagship title. And the team that we get is very lackluster. I like the idea of Rogue being the team leader, but then you have Sabretooth, who did we ever realize or find out why Sabretooth defected?
1: No. Yes, yeah. he, he was already on Magneto's team uh in X-Men Chronicles 2 that we saw whenever right after Wolverine uh got Gene Gray out of the pens.
0: Yeah, we never got to see why he defected over to the X-Men. He's just there. He has a sex slave gimp, whatever you want to call that, on his back, uh Wild Child, which <laughs> he just just carrying this body around and then just wakes him up and he goes off and gets fucked in the ass or something. I I don't know. It's he seemed useless. We have Morph, our first appearance of Morph in the Xbox yes. Canon. You did you like Morph?
2: I did. I've all I, so my my first real initial exposure to some of these characters was through Exiles. Yes. Um so that's where I know Blink and Sabretooth and Morph from and I very much enjoyed Morph in Exiles. So Seeing him here and just doing some goofy shit, like when he is talking to, when he's disguised as Magneto, and he's, er, was he, yeah.
1: was he pretending he, to be Magneto? And he tells yeah, him, like, end, you yeah, need to, he uh, talks yeah. to uh, Quicksilver and he says, remember to tell him to floss.
2: Yeah, he's like, wait, what the fuck? And then he just turns into giant lips, like Looney Tune style.
0: I didn't care for him too much myself in this. I liked him in Exiles. I, I feel Scott Liddell just took the template of 90s Deadpool and ran with it. I did like the little sight visual gags, like you mentioned that, or when he pretended to be Holocaust and wore a top hat and did his little dance number.
1: That was hilarious. Yes.
0: But other than that, it was just annoying puns and it was just bottom barrel jokes for me personally. The other people on the team was Blink, who was also a newish character, or no, it was a new character, not newish. Who? Well, no,
1: she, yeah, the last because I was just looking at it. Um, the last time she showed up and she disappeared immediately was because uh, the Phalanx Covenant happened right before the Age of Apocalypse. Right. So she was in like two issues of that and then that's right. died and then
0: she showed up here. And then uh, finally, if I'm not mistaken, the last member is Sunfire, who I think steals the show. He's the only one that kind of has any character motivation whatsoever for more than what we're told is Blink got rescued by Sabretooth at one point. So that's why Blink's on the team and is loyal to Sabretooth. Whereas we find out that Apocalypse genocides the entirety of Japan. And that's his revenge right there. And they show a couple pages of him being tortured and drinking blood and stuff like that. So, decent motivation there. I guess we kind of got backstory on Rogue already in other titles. It seems like the only character that's really fleshed out here was Sunfire.
1: Mm, Yeah, I think so. Especially since he his, Because, I mean, compared to the way he used to look where he had that red and yellow outfit, now he's... Yeah. Now he's wearing like the white mask. He looks basically like a a flaming skeleton almost. And and it's the question is, why is he this extreme compared to the way he used to be? And I mean, he he, he, you know, there's other stories that he actually got experimented on. Right. Um, And I don't think we're going to cover those because a lot of it's whatever. But that's, you know, like you said, his 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 whole motivation is just revenge on apocalypse for basically killing the entirety of Japan.
0: Yeah, I guess Blink is a little fleshed out, too. Like I said, she got rescued, and they talk about that quite a bit as well. But everyone else is kind of just thrown together. We don't really know who Morph is. I would imagine to the reader at the time, they're just like, who is this guy? I don't know if this was tied in at time or like a mandate because of the cartoon at the time.
2: That, that's what I was I about think... to say because he was on the cartoon series and this was for morph. And so I just figured they're like, you know what? Let's just put him in the books. Yeah, because I he's think, OC. honestly
1: what's that?
0: He's O C. He's an original character. I he's he's not morphed. no pun. <laughs> he's not he's not modeled after anyone else from the the previous timeline that I at least that that I can recall.
1: Well he he is That character, like, because they talk about how he started off with, like, that purple helmet. That There is a character named Morph. I don't know when he showed up. I honestly never read that. But, like, if you ever looked at that, because I think it's like, well, you guys don't actually have the issues. I was reading the actual issues. I have them. And they show you, like, shots of, um, like, what Sunfire looked like, what Morph looked like. And I don't know who the other character was, honestly, in this. But Morph, he had, like, this goofy, giant purple helmet, you know? So he was a character in regular x-men books it's just i don't know whatever i don't know how long ago he was in it and i don't know whatever happened to
0: him well we don't think research okay
1: yeah (laughs) that's that's for real podcasts not ours we have fun on this one yeah i think honestly what it is is that they gave i'm betting that midoriya was given free reign to choose who he kind of wanted to draw and he chose that because you know you could tell he has a lot of fun with the stuff that he does where he draws them i think Again, his art style in these three, four issues, I think, really shines. And it's a shame because, honestly, he should have did a lot more because I think he's the best, one of the best artists they picked for this. I mean, he's, he's one of my favorite at the time, especially. And I think he does, a, like just said, with what he does with Morph, he just has fun with that character,
0: I think. It's, it's very kinetic. His, his, his artwork is very kinetic and frenzied. You can tell everyone's not standing still like cardboard cutouts. They got like actual life to these drawings. He he draws Sunfire, I think, in a very threatening slash frightening way, especially when they zoom in on his eyes. Very menacing. Yes. The the story overall for this is they're just stopping a culling in Chicago. That's it. It's It seems like Lobdell wanted to just write this story over and over again because he did Generation Next, which was the best story, I think, out of this entire saga. And it's just a more PG-rated version of that, I would guess, because it's just another mission of... Well, I mean, they're not rescuing anyone, but it's essentially just going to another slave camp and trying to liberate a bunch of people. But no one gets killed in this.
1: Well, I, what I didn't understand was like, cause, like the first issue I liked, but it literally was like X-Men Alpha point two, because literally everything that we saw in X-Men Alpha happened again in the beginning of this issue, other yeah. than Magneto going under and seeing what's going on in uh, Bishop's head because he has a conversation with uh, Nightcrawler and then Gamut leaves. And then all it is is just set up of the team leaving to go stop the calling in Chicago, like you said. Yeah, And then, so they do that. And then in the second issue, Sabretooth is basically like, well, I'm going to go talk to just mess up Holocaust to give you guys more time to get these people out of here. And they don't really explain to me that, or they don't, I don't think they explain that well that, So Blink sends him away and he ends up going to Indiana or Indianapolis or something. And that's where the um... camp. Well, it's not the camp. That's their factory for the um, their soldiers where they basically like melt people down and turn them into their the soldiers. Right. And so Sabretooth fights him. He sends Wildchild back. Basically, the X-Men come and blah, blah, blah. They save the day and destroy the factory, the infinites. They destroy the factory. But that's the only thing I got was so confused about was that Blink sends him away, and it's like I, I don't know how I don't know how, they, they didn't really explain that she knew where he was.
0: Yeah, the logistics were weird of where they sent him, as well as he sent Wild Child to go tell the X Men because Wild Child was with him while he was fighting Holocaust. He sent the X Men to go get him, and it seemed like the X Men were only like a hundred feet away from him because he got back to them pretty fast. It just I don't know. It just the art really saved this book for me. And then they do the fake tease of, oh, my God, Sabretooth got killed by Holocaust. And no one bought that.
1: Yeah, I laughed at, uh, the like, because Sabretooth or Holocaust is, like, threatening him the whole time. Basically being like, oh, you're going to die. You're going to die. And I'm like, was he not around him enough to realize how a healing factor works? Yeah. You like, would, you doesn't would... he realize he needs, he needs to, like, rip his head off, torch his entire body to actually kill him? Because all he does is, I mean, it's pretty gruesome uses, like, the blades on his elbow, and he, like, rips his entire chest out, but
0: uh-huh. it's going to grow back. I don't know. You'd think that when they work together that Holocaust would realize that just beating him to a pulp wouldn't do it. I really don't have much more to say about this, Chris.
2: Uh, so the first issue of Astonishing, page nine, has a part where there's a prelate coming through one of Blink's portals after him, and she closes it while he's, like, still halfway through.
0: Oh, that's um, a good bit.
2: That was really cool, and it has one of the best onomatopoeias, the, a giant spablooch. Oh, yes,
0: yes, <laughs> yes.
2: Um, and like I, you would figure like he got like ripped in half or something, but you really don't see anything. It's just more or less a giant word, and then it's just business as usual. So, like you said, PG-rated. Yeah.
0: No one dies. Re- well, I mean, the baddies die, but no good guys die. Uh, everything gets nice. Everything's in a nice neat little package by the end and they're off to go to Apocalypse Citadel with the rest of the X Men because it also ties in that, hey, we got everything that we all the other titles merge at the end and everyone says that they got their respective things except for Gambit, but I think that's covered in amazing X Men. You really have to read these two series together. Like the first halves work on their own, but the other two halves just meld together nonstop. So
1: well, like astonishing by itself kind of works on its own but then amazing really needs to tie into like by the end of amazing x-men that ties all the titles in before it gets to x-men omega which actually again I'm kind of having read it at the time I, or earlier I didn't think I liked that but I think it makes sense as opposed to wasting some pages on x-men omega to say okay everybody met back up at the uh, oh. Xavier's mansion Absolutely. to do whatever
0: Absolutely, this is but, that's the penultimate. Amazing X Men number four is the penultimate issue before Omega, and you have to have everything come together there, or else it just will. Exactly, you'll be wasting time, or it'll just be a immediate clusterfuck at the few first few pages. Um, what would you guys rate Astonishing? Since we're kind of done with that one, which what, what would you rate that?
1: Uh, well, I just want to stay a quick little blurb that I thought I liked. I liked about it was that in I think issue three. At one point, Sabretooth is talking to Holocaust. He's like, go to Hades. And I'm like, all right, there. All right, there, Comics Code. Thanks for uh, stepping in on that one. (laughs) Oh, jeez.
0: People don't care that there's a guy named Holocaust running around on top of piles and piles of skeletons. That's no big deal. But God forbid you say hell.
1: Well, I think the problem, or it's not a problem per se. It's just the fact that...
0: Well, no, it's it's the same argument as disgusting violence allowed on tv like the walking dead but god forbid you show a titty yeah but the thing is though that the word hell is a lot less offensive than naming a character holocaust and then the x-men who are an allegory for race as well as i'm saying the x-men are an allegory for race then you have holocaust who's named holocaust (laughs) standing on top of all these bodies it's it's kind of yeah but
1: but I guess you're right, but the thing is, though, that the word holocaust was a word before it was associated with the holocaust of World War II. You know what I mean? Like, Uh, you can still use that as a
0: Yes, but... Anyone, it's, anyone with yeah, half a brain that. Yeah, I know, I know. Is, but the thing is, though, that honestly, yeah,
1: honestly, yeah, I don't know how That's one of those technically could, true know. statements.
0: Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's not something you would really want to argue against. I'm not saying we're offended. I know, I know. It's just whenever someone ever said Holocaust past 1945, they thought of something immediately.
1: I know, you're right. So I, I think it's amazing that they were able to get away with it back then. Yes. But that's also because, honestly... It, you couldn't do it now because of the internet. And I'm going to get to that later about some other stuff. But oh it's like the only way they were able to do it was because of a lack of internet, honestly. You know what I mean?
0: Check Jonathan out on his Comics Gate channel. Um, but
1: anyway. <laughs> but then the only other thing I was going to say was I think, I guess it was a Comics Code thing. But again, in issue three, well, in issue two. Uh, when Sabretooth and Holocaust first start the fight, he, uh, Holocaust drops like a building on Saber, or not a building, but like some, a bunch of debris on Sabretooth. And he's basically talking to him about how, like, oh, how's your healing factor working with your internal bleeding or something. And and they show a shot where he's like, got like a, a drop of blood, like going down by his eye and it's red. But then in the third issue, whenever he like eviscerates him, it's brown. And I'm like, I'm wondering if they couldn't show that much red,
0: Yes, that, that was a thing at the time. You you see the imagery over in Amazing X-Men drinking blood, and it's mostly black. Uh, that, that's the reason Superman in The Death of Superman was bleeding black a lot. Was there, they they can only show so much red. So mm, okay. that was the reason why. Anything else you want to say about Astonishing in particular? We this? Uh, I,
1: I actually, I mean, I thought it was complete. And again, I thought the art was good. I still think it's more of like an eight for me personally. Oh. I think it's one of the better stories out of this this block of stories we read. Interesting. Um, the whole getting from Chicago to Indianapolis thing, eh. But other than that, in in the lack of speed in the first book, but still, I think it's the whole story of them um, trying to save the people from calling and then basically sh- shutting down the uh, factory, I-, I think was a decent story.
2: I'm going to give this one a 7 because I I mean even though I didn't really like it all that much in regards to this entire run it was you know this is the story that you should be reading this I feel like this is the main story going on and it has a lot of beats that I feel are kind of important for all the characters like it has all the main characters in it essentially and it's leading up to the finale and it had a lot of stuff thrown in there between like I mentioned before with different characters morph Blink and whatnot that were really cool but again overall it's just i feel like if this was done today it would be a whole lot better but i think for pretty much everything that we've read so far this is probably one of the second best ones
0: we, we we're all on different well i guess you guys are similar i gave this a five it was completely average to me it it didn't really move the needle i think the art helped out a lot i was just maybe i was just disappointed with Labdell compared to his generation next but this one just felt way too cookie cutter for me. While some of the dialogue here and there was good and some of the action scenes were good, it just I, I knew where it was going, even though I've read it before. but like, I mean, I haven't read it in so long. I couldn't really remember the story, but you could see where it was heading to. So it was fine. Nothing to write home about, but I'm also kind of comparing that to Generation Next. Do you guys have an MVP and a WVP for this?
2: MVP, Morph. Because, like I said, I like Morphe. He turns into a giant whale and puts all the X Men in their mouths when they show up. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. First, uh, probably Wild Child, I guess. He's yeah, it's, I... it's, it's just a, a weird, know nothing character that's not explained other than, eh, yeah, I found him in Canada. The end.
1: Uh, I'm going to go MVP of Blink because I like her in this. And her fight with Holocaust, I think, is pretty awesome. It's just the fact that she basically is able to. Honestly, stand toe to toe with him a lot because he doesn't give her any credit. She doesn't beat him, beat him, but she she's impressive in the fight. Okay, um, WVP. Well, I don't know.
0: <laughs> you got to give me something. Um, don't worry, I will edit out all his. Quicksilver, because he
1: gets he gets smacked on the face with big blips from Morph. I guess I don't know.
0: <laughs> quicksilver.
1: Uh, I think Bishop, because he really doesn't do it. Like I honestly, half the stuff whenever they kept flashing back. To the mansion with Magneto and Bishop talking. I'm like, I don't really care about this. I don't know. It just that was just annoying because that was just a lot of wasted time. So can I do Magneto and Bishop on this? Okay,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: because like their their banter back. Other than in the first issue where Magneto's like again sending people off on missions. Uh, the, the banter between Bishop and Magneto in this story is just repeat of stuff we've already heard. And it's just really annoying that they wasted space on those characters. I think
0: in case you guys didn't get this, his name is Eric Magnus Lencher and he was Charles Xavier's best friend.
1: I did not get that.
0: God, is that what, is that
1: what, pred, what predicated or what, what, what happened here that started all this? I can't
0: remember that either. His, his His friend was murdered in front of him years ago. Oh, my God. Every, oh, okay. Uh. The, it's happened every time he shows up. That I, I forgot to mention that the last time, but my God, they really want to tell us Magneto's real name and his love for Charles Xavier, which is fine. I don't care, but I know you don't read every single title back in the day, so you kind of have to know the motivation, but it, it gets really obnoxious when you're reading all these titles at once. You'll never forget his name, and I don't even think his real name is Magnus anymore, but that's something else. Uh, for me, I kind of already spoiled it, but MVP for me, Sunfire. I did like how he was designed. I liked his attitude, and I liked the way how he just shone in general, uh, how he was represented. Uh, WVP, also wild child for me. He's just some weird sex gimp thing for Sabretooth. and if he was ever <laughs> in the story, it wouldn't have mattered. It's another one of those characters that we, we don't need. Just like uh, What's Her Nuts from Excalibur. Can you even remember her name? No. The the first oh the,
2: the the suddenly I'm on this guy's team now.
0: No, not the bad guy. The the first character we're introduced to, the girl Switchback, I think her name is. Oh or oh the, yes yeah like one of the main characters that doesn't matter because we don't see her in X Men Omega at all. But no, we'll get to that. No, I mean, we she was
1: she was still sticking out over in Avalon, I guess. Afterwards, I don't know. I guess because we don't see Mystique yes. again because she didn't die.
0: Yeah, a lot of these people. At, maybe it's an editorial thing. I don't know. It
1: would have been, I think, honestly, it would have been too hard. It, you know, we see all the main characters we need to see. We don't need to see anybody else because we really don't see anybody.
0: Yeah, or they're just dispatched or staying in the background, essentially. Yeah. Amazing X Men, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but that's just another mission where they're trying to help humans oh, get hold to. Hold on. Can I? Oh. oh, my God.
1: I got so pissed off when I was reading this.
0: Really? Because they used.
1: <laughs> deus ex machina so much in it 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 pissed me off i was like annoyed that compared to astonishing like amazing x-men really suffers from the again the whole my name's eric lyncher and i gotta do this and this and this and explaining everything they they, the fact that i I, back in the 90s i I feel like every book apparently oh you're this villain oh you have this and this and i gotta do this they always talked so much and they explain everything over and over again and i'm like they did this so much in this this four issue run it drove me up a wall and I'm like oh my god and
0: everyone was narrators
1: oh it was horrible and then especially with the one guy that apparently somehow digitally enhanced or changed a cd even though that's (laughs) completely impossible and I'm like what is this a thumb drive that's now cd yeah that made no sense and a lot of like again
0: what's up with banshee in the way he looks, it's like he stole stuff, th- something from Mr. Sinister's closet. I like him, too, personally. But... His weird-ass arm talons? I don't know. I don't know. It seems yeah. Like- yeah it's, it's,
2: it's, his original costume made sense because he you know, pushes himself off the ground with his voice and uses the wings to glide or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But this, like, yeah, he has straight-up big old spikes. He looks like, like you said, Mr. Sinister. He even reminded me of, like, Asriel,
0: yeah, they're worse than Azrael. These things look like they're five feet long. It was two issues of them doing their own little mission of helping humans get to uh, Eurasia. That fell through, and then it kind of just went into, finally, Apocalypse versus Magneto. And then issue four was just a complete mess of every other title. I mean, they had to do it, like we said earlier, but every other title just converging together in this issue where everyone was saying, like, uh, we got Destiny, and we got Iliana and yada, yada, yada. I mean...
1: Well, what doesn't make any sense to me is that the first beginning part where basically they go to help the Sentinels evacuate people to, you know, you said Eurasia.
0: Yeah. And we see this happen in Weapon X as well. We see the outcome.
1: Well, we see basically, yeah, because Weapon X, you know, the way it happens is here in Amazing X-Men is whenever they load them up in the first two issues. And then by the second issue of Amazing Era, Weapon X is whenever they unload those people because Copycat and that cybernetic guy ended up showing up in Weapon X, that issue of Weapon X, you know? Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't make any sense because the whole beginning, they, they they wanted to upload a CD to the Sentinel so the Sentinels wouldn't see them as threats so they could help the
0: people evacuate. Yeah, Sentinels um, kill all mutants on site, so they were trying and to am
1: like, that. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I refuse to believe that the European High Council or the Human High Council wouldn't recognize that the X-Men are assisting them to fix it so the Sentinels wouldn't do that for them. Then, like I said, they uploaded the CD— and then all of a sudden they target the X-Men. But, it, oh, it turns out Magnet or, uh, Apocalypse's agents were there. And some guy was able to adjust a CD. And then later on he adjusts it again. But he's like, oh, I just adjust the programming on the Sentinel. I'm like, why didn't you that, do that in the beginning? And then why didn't you just program the Sentinels to kill all the humans? What? Why are you – like, because they eventually reprogram them through some, like I said, deus ex machina BS. And then they evacuate the humans. And I'm like, I thought Apocalypse was like, screw all them, kill them all. I'm like, what – What's the motivation here? I, don't, I didn't get it.
0: It seemed like a very convoluted way to get them to fight a Sentinel in this alternate universe.
1: But they didn't even really fight it. They like the, At the beginning, they did, but it was a hard light...
0: It was a training mission. Da- Dazzler
1: made... Well, no, at the beginning, Dazzler, they were practicing on one that wasn't even a real Sentinel. Dazzler, like was able to make a hard light version of it hologram that they were like playing around with and and planning their mission on it.
0: Well, this was their version of the danger room. They had their danger room sequence. Like every X title does. Yeah. I
2: feel like there's two separate stories going on. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like the first two issues are its own story. And then it kind of just transitions into the shit that you want to see, which is, you know, Magneto versus apocalypse. Like, we actually get to finally see Apocalypse do something other than just stand menacingly and say soliloquies or whatever. Like, yeah. so that was pretty fucking cool.
0: Yeah, Magneto got his ass handed to him pretty handily.
1: Well, I like, Yes, you know, I didn't realize that how, I guess he got depowered a couple years ago whenever he, like, made uh, Apocalypse's ship crash.
0: They mm-hmm.
1: talk about, and I'm like, I, I didn't realize that. And honestly, I don't think I've ever actually read Amazing X-Men before. We did this. I know I always read Astonishing, but – so I didn't realize that, which I thought was kind of neat. I did like the initial fight of Quicksilver with Abyss, made Abyss go inside of himself because he's like some kind of weird vacuum inside of his body or something, and he like put himself inside of it. So he was like sucking himself into himself, and which was kind of cool, I thought, but
0: – I I'm kind of disappointed that you mentioned Abyss because I was going to go this entire sequence without mentioning him to see... Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's just he's that useless in this story. He is one of the... All the horsemen... I mean, Holocaust does a little bit more, but all the horsemen of the apocalypse are absolute jokes in this. And if they weren't called the horsemen, you wouldn't give a shit about them at all. Abyss is a total joke. He's just Plastic Man. He's Plastic Man, but evil, essentially, and not even as cool, I guess.
2: I don't even understand why... He's a character. Like They should have just made him and Shadow King one character.
0: Yeah, because Shadow King's in this too, and they were kind of side by side, I guess. it's. But Shadow King was over an Excalibur, so I don't know. Yeah, but, they yeah, but been... Shadow...
1: Shadow King could have been one of the horsemen, and that actually would have been pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it would have. Yeah, yeah. all the horsemen d- are a complete joke in this series. But they're always a joke. Because Besides Wolverine and Hulk, and I guess Archangel, no one really cares about them. Remember when Gambit was a horseman? Oh, my God, we don't want to talk about Grey that. gray hair Gambit? Oh, no, watch out. He still sucks. <laughs> I think they made him a horseman just to give him his vision back, if I recall. But whatever. That's that's some Chuck Austin shit, I think.
1: Again, with the Abyss fight, though was – and I was waiting to re- – I was looking forward to reading this because in the first – I think it's the first issue. Maybe it is in the second issue whenever initially Banshee finds him and he's like, oh, get me Quicksilver. I've got a uh, history with him. And then they never talk about it. I'm Mike. like, what, what the heck? And, and the whole rest of the issue – Rest of it, they don't talk about it. Why mention that if you're not going to make it sound like actually reveal something that that's the reason he's whatever? And he he does mention that he's the newest Horseman, and they mention that the previous Horseman, Bastion, which I thought was interesting.
0: Yeah, an established character.
1: Well, yeah, he was honestly he's an established character now. But I was trying to look, and I was trying to do a l- little bit of history on this, and I I might be wrong, but he only just shows up right before the Age of Apocalypse. Um, oh, that's right uh... during. Operation During Zero the,
0: Tolerance happens after. Well,
1: apparently he did show up somewhere. again. I was doing a Wikipedia. and He did show up somewhere in the Phalanx Covenant. Again, it wouldn't make sense that he'd be a horseman because he's anti-mutant and he was a human sentinel. So right. unless Apocalypse was able to reprogram him, I don't know how that works. Right. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, we should probably – I mean we, we're kind of shitting on this, but we should probably just mention the team just for – I guess, posterity's sake, It consisted of Quicksilver, Banshee, Storm, who we haven't mentioned either, and, uh, let's see, Dazzler, and Exodus. And Iceman. And Iceman, yes. Kind of a unique team. I like everyone there, except... I like the idea of it, except for Exodus. Like, I don't care about him at all. But that seems like it's there to set up stuff when it, this goes back to the regular timeline, because the the, the epilogue issue, X-Men Prime, kind of features him somewhat heavily. So... I'm guessing that's why he was in there. I don't want to say this is bad because I really like, I really like the team in general, the creative team in general. It's just this this one looks like it was hampered by editorial the most. Oh yeah, there was another thing that kind of made me laugh where Bishop gets kidnapped by the Madry uh, towards the end of this.
1: Well, whenever Apocalypse shows up at the mansion and beats up Magneto they steal Bishop too.
0: Yeah. They kidnap Bishop and Magneto storm goes to rescue Bishop. The way she does it is by freezing everything around her to break in. And then she pulls out some lock picks to free him. (laughs) Yeah, It's like you have lightning and ice, but you decide to bust these out and Bishop makes some comment to the effect of, Oh, I guess some things never, it's just like, why, why are we doing this guys? This is just a wink and a nod to three people who actually give a shit about her lock picking thievery days I don't know. I
1: did like, though, that the Madri collapses because they come, they find Jamie Madrick's prime. He initially wants Quicksilver and uh, Banshee to kill him. You guys are okay with it whenever it's like evil, like Apocalypse of Minions, you're fine with it. But when there's a guy that's like, your friends are going to die in my hand, you need to kill me so that my dupes will stop. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. So he basically turns his power in on himself and basically makes himself like he, I don't know if he actually kills himself or just goes catatonic and then wipes out his dupes, which was pretty cool. I thought
0: much like Padme and revenge of the Sith. He just lost the will to go on.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I thought that was kind of, I thought it was stupid.
0: It was very or, dumb. Uh, it's, it's very dumb. No, no,
1: actually I thought it was cool that he was able to, I don't know if he actually lost the will. He just did whatever and he, he self-sacrificed himself and was able to, I actually thought that was a cool, neat idea that they did that. I thought it was a dumb idea that Quicksilver and and Banshee were like wusses and didn't recognize that they needed to make that sacrifice and kill him to save the team. I thought that was stupid editorially. Because anywhere else, like, he literally, he is a minion of Apocalypse. He literally is one of his henchmen. You have no problem doing this any other time just because he's, like, been used and abused and he's asking for it. You're going to be like, no, there's got to be some other way we could do this. And they, that, that was stupid.
0: Yeah, the, the priorities are really screwed up there. I'm glad that Nicieza was able to bring back the Madry, since I really like. I think that's probably the best concept out of all this. I might be contradicting myself from a previous episode, but I still really like the idea of the Madri. Just Jimmy Madrox having an entire religious cult. But yeah, Did you catch
1: the uh, editorial error where they called Shadow King Shadow Thief in the one issue?
0: That kind of confused me, but I figured that's that was just a typo.
1: Yeah, because later on they go back to Shadow
0: King, and I'm like, what happened there? Yeah, I thought it was a different character at first, but then I realized, oh, it's just a typo. Everyone gets together at the end of this after they free Bishop, and they go off to rescue Magneto and save the day. I, I don't know. Chris, Jonathan, do you have anything else to say about this? I
2: like the Madri, and I like that they had Bishop, and I like that they brought in Shadow King to probe his brain. And that's when Shadow King learns like, oh, alternate reality, McCrankiss, Crystal, all this shit is not how it's supposed to be. And then all of a sudden, he's like, you know, give me the truth in this one big splash page. It looks really fucking cool. And then the next page, you just see, yeah! And one of the is like, oh, he failed. And it's like, oh, why? And it's like, I don't know, but here's Abyss. It's like,
0: okay. Yeah. <laughs> they do so sure I figure... Busy.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it should have just been the same character the entire time. But... I think this is the biggest missed opportunity with this story: is Shadow King finding out about the old timeline and the alternate realities and stuff. And it should have been them finding that out, and then bringing that to Apocalypse, and then them trying to like them all knowing that this is not how it's supposed to be, and Apocalypse trying to prevent this and making this the McC- the Christ crystal like more of a center point of the X-Men trying to get everything back together as opposed to what we got, I guess.
1: Yeah. I, I just feel like was this was a bigger in the plot third issue. Did that, that, that happened in the third issue. Didn't it? Yes. All the issues actually kind of went chronologically. We're reading them in a series, you know, all the amazing X-Men one through four, but the way it's actually in the, you know, they, they want you to actually read this astonishing X-Men, then X-Man, then weapon X and whatever. Like there was an order that I think that it would have followed better. And that would have made a little bit more sense. We're just kind of reading them out of order. Cause, and we know at the end what what's going to happen at the end. But I, yeah, I think it actually does kind of work out the way you're asking it. You're saying, Chris. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's true. I just feel like that should have been more of the focus of the entire overarching story. Other than,
1: well, we got a peace treaty with
2: Apocalypse. And I think he's going to break it. Like, <laughs> you know, like what the fuck?
0: Well, I mean, in X-Men, in X-Men Omega, he kind of realizes i mean he finds out about the alternate reality but he just wants to go to a different reality with it instead of just stopping everything he's just like i'll oh, just go conquer another reality it's no big deal but before we get into that uh what do we want to rate this
2: uh this one is getting a five from me um the first two issues get zeros but then the last two issues get like I don't know if I want to say 10 necessarily, but it got really good towards the end there. I just feel like uh, it kind of hit, it missed the mark that I was hoping that it would hit, but it had a lot of cool shit. You mentioned the Madry, you know, finding out about the alternate realities, uh, and then just finally tying this into the end game. MVP, I got to go with Iceman because I think his design in this is super cool. He's just like this weird ice elemental
0: yeah, he's kind of, like, snake-like at points.
2: Yeah, it was just super cool. Um, uh, but that's that's pretty much it uh, for that. But the WVP, for me, definitely has to be Exodus.
0: Yeah, he was he was a nothing.
2: He was literally like, well, Magneto said I could do this, and I believe in him, so I'll believe in myself. And, hey, we teleported, and it's like, now you can go fuck off forever because that's all you were here
0: for. Yeah, Magneto cucked him. He just gave him negative energy about oh you really can't use your powers this way and then magnino's like he really can i just wouldn't let him <laughs> uh jonathan what did you rate this and give me your most and worst valuable player
1: uh it's about the same five uh my mvp again was iceman uh because i thought it was pretty cool uh they they used some they introduced some concepts that they do later on in regular marvel where like he gets shattered and then like Uh, regrows himself and did you catch the part though where apparently he was like he can teleport
2: yes i was curious about that because he's like that's not comfortable for me and they're like nah that's not gonna work and i'm just like how does that even work
1: teleport himself and everybody else apparently and i guess it's something that my guess is that he reforms everybody based out of ice crystals over wherever they want to go and i'm like that's pretty awesome that they made it so Iceman can teleport And with people, apparently, which we don't get to see because, like you said, that's whenever they basically said, oh, yeah, Exodus can do it. And it's like, oh, I I couldn't – didn't know I could do that before. And so – but I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Okay. What about your uh, worst valuable player? So many to choose from.
1: I don't know. I'm going to go with Bishop again.
0: Bishop. Okay. Because
1: he just, again, in this one, he he literally – Bishop's not my favorite character of all the X-Men. His ability is actually not that bad you've got 20 years of, you know, he's already came from a hard future. He's got 20 years of living through this stuff. You could have made him a little bit more hardened of a character and he's a pushover all the time. And he literally doesn't do anything this entire time besides moan and whine and complain and just get whatever. So, uh, you know, he stands up a little bit to apocalypse, but he's a, he's, he's the catalyst for the end of all this, but he's just, whatever. Ilion is a, stronger
0: character i was thinking about this today bishop i think is the main character of age of apocalypse and it's it's a shame you you are absolutely right but he is also the main character of this entire story because he knows everything that's going on and he's the one that saves the day he goes back in time at the end of x-men omega and saves the day so all he does though is you're you're absolutely right he stands around and Moans and groans, and just tells the reader, "Hey, this is what happened in the past, and we have to stop this." And then Magneto's like, "My name is Eric Magnus Lenschur, and Charles <laughs> Xavier was a dear friend of mine." Every time for me, I'm giving this a four. I I love this creative team, but yeah, it was just it was all over the place as well. Nothing really more to say about that. What I've already said. Um, MVP, I'm going to give it to the Madry again because I fucking love that concept. And WVP for me, Bishop and Exodus are both good choices, but I think Abyss. Who is your antagonist? And it's just absolutely non-threatening whatsoever. You're not interested in him at all. He's kind of deadpool light as well, I guess, in a way. The way he talks, he's just wisecracking. Just, if you're going to be the horseman of Apocalypse, you have to be threatening in some sort of way. And this guy was just like a stu- Scooby-Doo character at best. Complete, completely lame. Uh, and finally, bookend this and finish off this saga that we've been, feels like we've been working on you know, eight years for. X-Men Omega. What did you guys expect going into reading this? We got them all. Okay. We got everyone teamed up at the end. They're all ready to take on Apocalypse. Did this live up to your expectations, even though we kind of talked about it already? Nope. Why?
2: Um, it just, it, it did kind of pay off in the sense that it's just like, hey, this is the end. It's how it's, you know, Apocalypse is defeated and we're going back to normal. But it was just like the beats to get here. And to see what actually ends up happening was super lackluster.
0: I I couldn't agree more. It it also seems like we forgot to add a few characters into uh the last issue of Amazing X Men, namely Cyclops, Havoc, Gene Gray, Wolverine, X Men. So we're we gotta throw all these guys in here as well. Uh Gene Gray just gets killed by Havoc. <laughs> Cyclops gets pissed off and then Wolverine kills Havoc. That's really all all those characters do. Um, X-Men feels like a... S- <sighs> X-Men... We really liked X-Men for what it was, if I recall, but...
1: Well, you figure at the end of X-Men is basically like right when he shows up where he's climbing the Tower of Apocalypse.
0: Yes, but... The problem is do we really believe that this is the Chosen One? Or was he just shoehorned in there because they needed a Cable character and he was the one that took over Cable's book. It didn't feel like this should be the guy fighting, you know, it felt like it should just be Magneto or Magneto and a combination of other people. I would have been happier with Gambit fighting him because then we'd get to see Gambit die or something like that.
1: Uh, I guess I'll agree with that, but I mean, unfortunately, yeah, he was, I'd be curious to know at what point because X-Men continues after this. Correct. I'd be curious to know at what point they figured they had a hot commodity and they were going to continue just continue him and, and do what they did with his character so that they brought him over to the regular 616 continuity. I think, you know I mean? I think
0: the sales and probably the, the letter writing at the time, if I recall, is what did it. I think his book sold like, the best after uh, Astonishing.
1: But, I mean, even then, still, it's like you can't make that decision right away. They would have had to have known.
0: Oh, sure you can. The first issue, absolutely.
1: Well, yeah, after the first issue, and then as long as the other ones were going the way that they were going, I guess. um, Although, I guess, you know, honestly, they could have did whatever. Because the way that the art works, you don't really see him until the issue after this, honestly. So, I guess you wouldn't know what happens to him.
0: This this just turns into the X-Men storming the Citadel, Apocalypse launching a bunch of nukes. To He takes out the Midwest. He's about to take out Manhattan, but Bishop... No, was, not
1: Apocalypse. It's the uh, Human High yeah, Council. I'm
0: sorry, the Human High Council. They just decided to nuke America because, you know, the best way to get rid of Apocalypse is nukes, I suppose. But it just... I'm looking through some of this art now. I I actually found the Instagram password, so I started uploading stuff again. Check that out, the underscore run underscore pod. If you haven't yet on Instagram, there are some really rushed panels here. Um, at one point, they have Quicksilver here, and it looks like someone just kicked him in the balls, or he saw his grandmother oh, do dude, or something like that. The it's,
1: one, what, hold on, let me see which pages is one. It's when, two, when he's
0: dealing with Dark Beast.
1: No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ish. The right whenever the X Men pop into Apocalypse's stronghold. Shadow Cat looks like she's freaking straight out of, like, double G boob porn or something. I mean, like, what the hell? Like, oh, hell yeah. It's just, like, it, Roger Cruz's art is horrible.
0: See, I I don't care for it, but then there's some, there's some panels where he, it's not half bad. Like, his Apocalypse, or not his Apocalypse, his Colossus and his Magneto, when Magneto fights Apocalypse for the second time, he has some makeshift armor, which is a cool little bit where he just pulls all the metal around him to make armor. And it's like some weird cyberpunk looking shit. And that looked good, but I don't know. Everyone has weird jaw lines as well. You get stuff like the Magneto and then you have, yeah, like you said, double G shadow cat.
1: Yeah. Some of it's okay. And then some of it, like you said, it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It, It doesn't, it, his art doesn't flow in this like it should. Yeah it's like like you said some stuff he maybe and maybe that's part of why like they changed it or not changed it but maybe that's maybe that was a product of editorial changes cuz x-man had to stay i doubt it cuz certain things especially it's not that pivotal to that part of it but who knows why it's not as clean as it should be
2: yeah I, it's it's weird cuz some panels do look really cool and then other ones you're just like this is kind of dog shit and I got to say, with the fight between X-Men and Magneto and Apocalypse and Holocaust, you know, it wasn't much to it, but I felt like it was um, it, it was kind of like a payoff finally. It was like, oh, we actually got to see some shit go down and the heroes get one-upped and then we just get to see uh, fucking Magneto rip Apocalypse in half vertically, which yeah. was really cool.
0: Mortal Kombat style. Yeah, that was good. It, it's You, you mentioned X-Men as well. It's funny. He's the one that's destined to beat Apocalypse, but then Magneto essentially says, no, this is my fight. You go after Holocaust or whatever. We'll just destroy what your character was about completely, which kind of felt, I don't know, it, it felt like a, someone changed it in editorial at the last moment to be like, no, we need to have Magneto beat him since he's the main character. Well, in their eyes, the main character. I still think Bishop is, but I don't know. I do. Also... But if you, if you,
2: like, if you know you're gonna have an X Man book, like you figured you want to give him an awesome push to get like readers interested, like oh, that's the dude who killed Apocalypse in an alternate timeline, and now he's here. Let's see what happens. But absolutely. no, absolutely, that didn't happen.
1: I mean, I don't know about you, but honestly, my personal opinion is I think Holocaust is more of a threat than Apocalypse in this, in a lot of this stuff.
0: Well, he also did more. very much.
1: Yeah, I mean, because yeah. he literally can. He he looks cooler. I think personally, his his design's really cool. And literally, he, he doesn't do it a lot, but he literally can just, like, I don't know what he shoots, but every time he shoots somebody and they get caught in his, was it a radiation or whatever, they're like, instant death. They're like, oh, yeah. reduce the skeletons. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you know, I know Apocalypse can do that, shoot blasts and stuff from other stories I read that he can do whatever. But, again, he gets big. He, he, like, makes his fist really big in Amazing X-Men number three whenever he beats up Magneto and captures him. Mm-hmm. But, again, you never get to see Apocalypse do anything really cool with his shape-shifting ability, you know what I mean, or whatever he can do. You know, like you said, he just soliloquies the whole time. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly how he dies, too, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. why, why are you not doing anything? And I'm like, I'm punching you in the face, Magneto. And Magneto's like, I'm concentrating. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then he's like, "Well," oh, and then he gets ripped apart.
0: I do like I do like also Colossus's heel turn. I think that might have been I. Th- I think Colossus's story might have been the best thing of AoA, personally, from beginning to end, at least. When they realize that they need Ileana and Destiny to help Bishop go back in time, they realize that they're the only ones that can do it as well because they don't. I. I guess the rules of time travel are different or something to that effect, where they need counterparts that don't exist. So then Colossus realizes that Ileana's is dead in the real universe and he doesn't want to lose Ileana again. So he kind of turns heel and just starts fighting the X-Men and accidentally kills Kitty. He killed. Well, yeah, he, he she doesn't face, she trusts him to not attack her. Yeah, to totally
1: and, and then versatile. the funny thing is, is that Iliana comes, I was like, cause I, I honestly, I, I couldn't remember. And I'm like, Oh, maybe she like goes in there and then she dies. But then she comes right back out of the m crystal. And I'm like Colossus. Then again, I mean, he suffered from PTSD. He, he just, like, loses his shit over it. And it's like, if you would have just done your job, you would have been fine with your sister there. You know no, what
0: I mean? but if anything goes back to normal, he knows she's dead. So he doesn't want her to be dead. That, that was the whole conceit. And then what's what the only thing that's lame about that oh, is that. yeah, I guess. But, again, yeah.
1: technically, he, if it goes back to normal, he wouldn't know it went back to normal because so, he's going to be dead, too. Well, so I what mean, does he
0: care? With everything going on, you know, shit's crazy. You get your you, you free your sister from a slave pit, and then you're told that oh yeah, none of this will matter. Kind of would drive a man insane. It just kind of lame that Gambit does the killing blow to him of all people. Yep, and he calls him Holmes. Yeah, he says Holmes. Like oh, fuck, man, fucking nineties. I don't know, but well,
1: I like the X Men's yada 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 line. Was this after Seinfeld did that or not? <laughs> Maybe before actually. I don't know. Um... <laughs> I'm like, oh come on. But yeah, they they could like, be. Bit... Just product of the '90s stuff. That's
2: all. Yeah. I mean, Seinfeld is a comic books fan. So I mean, maybe he read it and he was like, well, that's a good line."
0: Was that your? Was that like? Let me hear some more Seinfeld from you.
2: What's the deal with all these X-Men? All right,
0: <laughs> all, right all right, that's pretty good.
2: <laughs> it was it. nice to see how Dark Beast finally made it into. Uh, The the more normal universe, I guess, because I've I never knew how it happened. I knew he started in this and I've always just known him as a villain in the main books. But the fact that he like he was supposed to teleport himself inside the crystal. Yeah. And Quicksilver fucked it up. So I guess that translates to him making it to the universe. I'm like, okay, I can accept that you transport yourself into the thing that's a gateway to every alternate reality. And there you are. Perfect.
0: There was four stowaways. It was him, Sugarman. X-Man, and I can't remember the fourth one. Holocaust. Was it? Oh, it was Holocaust. He got out? Yeah. Okay. See,
1: the only thing that's confusing about Beast doing, going through the m crystal, is that he goes into his teleporter. Then, like you said, it's the scene when Quicksilver gets kicked in the nuts. Yeah. Uh, but Quicksilver goes over the computer and starts putzing around with stuff. And then he's like, according to his readouts, the Beast had planned to rematerialize in the very center of the m
0: crystal.
1: Well, then, where do like, we. We find out that he did get there, so where did – I don't understand what Quicksilver even did. You know well, what I mean? Well,
0: maybe, maybe he was on, like, the outer edge of the Amcron crystal or something. I, I think it was implied that he could control where he – Beast was trying to control where he would go, but instead got shot to one destination instead of infinite destinations. That's my – I don't know. It. It, it's, it wasn't really clear. Yeah. I agree with you. but
1: Yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I mean Bishop they they get Bishop to go back in time and stop Legion from accidentally killing Xavier and then he just scolds Legion and everything just turns back to normal. You get a couple pages of fallout of Charles and Xavier or Charles Charles and Eric Magnus Lenscher talking to each other like, "Oh, what the hell happened? I don't know. It feels weird." And I felt a loss that was like a son to me or some shit like that. Like we said, we get Apocalypse's Death, Magneto and Rogue embrace, and then the world just gets reshaped and that's it. I mean that's the end of Omega. From there it, we mentioned before it branches out in the uh, X-Men Prime, we didn't read it. We'll we'll read it for the next episode real quick and just see if there's anything worth talking about there. It's essentially the epilogue and shows up where those stowaway characters like Beast and Sugarman do or go as well as setting up future X-Men stories for the next years to come. That's about it for me. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about, Omega?
1: I mean, it was a throwaway, unfortunately, like you said, but, like, Gene, basically, they're leaving. They're She and Cyclops are, like, escaping New York with the rest of the humans, and she was initially trying to hold back the nukes. Yeah. And then that's whenever uh, or, um, <clears throat> Havoc kills her, and then basically Scott's like, you idiot, now we're going to get bombed and die and then basically at the very end that's yeah everything dies in a nuclear inferno. In theory she would have held it but she didn't.
2: I feel like this is some like final season of Game of Thrones shit if the entire series of Game of Thrones sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was cool cuz it was like it hit some of the beats that you were hoping for and expecting like with you know them be- defeating apocalypse and assaulting and all that like the the citadel or whatever is tower or whatever. It's so disjointed. Like, you didn't have to have – other than, you know, Jean Grey holding the nukes back, which, again, you could have definitely wrote around that. It's just, like, Wolverine and Cyclops, totally useless. Um, I feel like the X-Men fighting each other, again, just totally useless in the grand scheme of things.
0: Oh, yeah. Angel was in here. He suicide bombed. Totally useless. Actually, I thought that was the MVP
1: play of the book, personally, because if he hadn't done that – I don't think the X Men could have gotten into Apocalypse's Citadel. Uh,
0: They would have. They would have found another way in. I think Angel killing himself or blowing himself up to open up Apocalypse's Citadel. It felt like they could have done that any other way to get inside that building. It just felt like, oh, we don't have anything for him. So,
1: well, yeah, unfortunately, because he lost his one. We didn't mention that. That in exactly that's how useless he is. Well, no, that his one uh... his girlfriend. Yeah, she, she she was the one that basically revealed to Apocalypse exactly where the mansion was, because she's a psychic, or a telepath, and she siphons information off of people in the club. What's his name? Sebastian Shaw squealed on her and turned her over to Apocalypse, and that's how they, they got to the X-Mansion and captured Magneto. So, like you said, Arca- or Angel, she dies, and then he suicide bombs himself.
0: Yeah, it's... I don't know. It was nothing for me. The fact that we didn't talk about him until now kind of proves that he was kind of sucky. I give this a three. I think this ended on a wet fart. The, the Colossus thing was cool. Apocalypse is dying was cool, but it just felt like they needed to wrap this up, and they it was a Friday afternoon, and they wanted to get out of there. I didn't feel any closure because everything got erased. Really, nothing came of this afterwards. I mean, you could say that about any crossover, really, but it's just the way it ended so suddenly there was no epilog for it it's just it ends in a nuke and we're to assume that everything goes back to normal it just it just felt disjointed to me uh yeah i give it a 3 my mvp is colossus because of what i mentioned earlier previously and gambit because he killed colossus was my wvp and he's gambit that's that's also he also sucks still so
2: well i will i'm going to rate this a 7 despite not liking it kind of the same flow or same reasoning from before is out of this entire run you know this is the shit that's actually happening and matters and what you should be reading but again felt disjointed felt like there was not a lot of payoffs for most of these characters but for the the main plot points you know they were resolved they they beat apocalypse and it was done in a really cool fashion um and that's why I'm giving this obscure character... am not sure if you caught that he was there. His name's uh, Eric Magnus Lencher, <laughs> the MVP. Um, I thought this was, like, the best of Magneto. You know, the f- cool fucking armor and fighting apocalypse and, you know, saving the day, essentially. I really enjoyed that. WMVP? Probably Wolverine. Again. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I guess Age of Apocalypse Wolverine just kind of sucks.
0: Yeah, he he showed up, killed Havoc in like two panels, and that was it.
2: And then got sad over and that was it.
0: Yeah, I do like WMVP, Worst Most Valuable Player. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's what I said. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I like. No, I honestly like that though.
2: Yeah, I don't. Know. It's it's just if you didn't read any of this stuff before, it's just like, why would you? care about it and then even reading this stuff before i'm just like i still don't really care about a lot of these characters at this time
0: yeah jubilee was there she was yeah it did nothing so jonathan Uh, i'm gonna give it a
1: five ending point for the story it works but the art's horrible it doesn't flow it's like i said it was it's rushed you know panels don't match each other and the art's really bad there could have been better storytelling like honestly like i like at the end panels when magneto's standing there with rogue and his son but honestly i feel like they could have actually had more the rest of the x-men that were there too i know it's basically about them but honestly thinking it should the the final panel should have been like magneto standing there with the rest of his x-men looking at that you know what i mean
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so uh mvp i'm gonna go with dark beast just because he got out of there Cause he, he knew it was up and he got the hell out of Dodge WVP. I'm going to go combination of Cyclops and Wolverine only because Cyclops was completely useless and dies immediately for no reason. He like, he busts his, he somehow busts his visor cause he's so pissed off at havoc, but then havoc's just like, eh, and it, like shoots him and kills him. And then Wolverine only because he has a like touching moment where Jean dies. He says something to her and then the thing is then you see the shot of him kneeling next to him and he freaking leaves a po- Cyclops' body over top of basically his wife girlfriend's body and I'm like what the hell are you doing you should be like cradling her so that, that was just stupid.
0: Yeah. So overall we gave on the averages here Astonishing's got a 6.6, Amazing X-Men's got a 4.6 and Omega has an even 5 down the middle. Yeah, it just it seems like in hindsight so far for the most part this wasn't the greatest X Men crossover that people claim it is. I mean, but we're only three fucking guys. If you want to send us an email, and trust me, we we got a lot of them, uh, you can send those to therunpod at gmail.com.
2: Therunpod at gmail.com.
0: We're running a little bit long, but I promise you. I think you, that's okay. I promise you, because it's pretty late at night, we're going to do some mailbag episode in between now and the next episode, which is going to. Maybe be X Men Prime. I'm gonna look over it real quick and see if it's worth talking about, or I'll just give some bullet points because, like I said, there's some really ugly art in there, and it's really long. Um, no offense to the artists; they actually got better over time. Uh, looking at Mr. Brian Hitch in general, just really weird. I, think, I hate to
1: say it. I think we should just do bullet points. Yeah, it, we it's, could. It's, I could do them right now if you wanted me to.
0: Honestly, eh, well, we'll we'll do it next time. It's it's getting late, <laughs> um, and we're gonna be doing the. Let's see, we're not much more. We're gonna be doing the 10th anniversary. Celebration of Age of Apocalypse back in 2005 when they put out that miniseries, plus a couple one-shots or something like that here and there. I think there was also with that as well. And then I think we got Uncanny X-Force and the Age of Apocalypse series from 2013, and I think that's going to do it before we get to our next miniseries. Um,
1: we might have to cut out that Age of Apocalypse.
0: Is it really that bad?
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, we can. It, it, it's... Okay. We what could we maybe see? do, like... We'll talk about that. Like we should maybe do the first issue where they kicked it off at, at Uncanny X Force nineteen point one, yeah. and then just do the end of it whenever it because it, it ended in this own little story arc of a couple other tie ins at the time.
0: Okay, okay. Well, we'll see.
1: It's 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 really bad. <laughs> I mean, I, again, like you said, I I think that the idea behind the Age of Apocalypse was fantastic. And I'd be curious to read some of these things. Are, are we gonna we're gonna try and do that, right? Where we read these other people's reviews and and we basically, yes.
0: yeah, we're gonna okay. we're gonna look at some people that have held them in higher regard and see if we agree with them. I'm not here just to shit. The whole point of this podcast is to see if stuff still is you know holds up or is it as good as people say it is back then? Who knows? Is is this run actually a good run? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, we're just three guys. It's really weird so far how poorly this has aged for us when it's been lauded so well.
1: Well, like I said, it's just it it was a really good idea. It was really ambitious and they were able to do it. It was a unique idea. It just it doesn't age well because it's written it was written in the 90s and unfortunately a lot of stuff written then doesn't age well because it it just doesn't. You know what I mean? I'm
0: going to have you it's... sit down and read the Clone Saga because that <laughs> I will fucking die on. That's a hill I will die on, say the Clone Saga is good. But Maybe I just invalidated this entire podcast by saying that these fuckers like the Clone Saga, but not Age of Apocalypse. Chris can back me up on that. He knows I like the Spider Clone.
2: You know what? Honestly, I they released the the a six issue Clone Saga Spider Man thing, and it was a uh, there was a foreword in it by I guess the head writer uh, Tom Defalco. And maybe it was. I think it might have been Tom Defalco. It might have been from Casada and. They were pretty much writing, like, you know, in the 90s, we had this little clone story, and it got really popular, and it went a little fucking crazy. So here's how it should have been presented, and they did a six-issue series arc on that, and it was pretty
0: fucking cool. Yeah, that was the Clone Saga was only supposed to be less than a year, but they managed to bring almost three years out of it and confuse everyone, especially cool. if you didn't the title.
1: And then the fact is that, like, because what that Clone Saga series, which actually I, I was i have in my collection i'm looking through to sort my stuff but i remember reading on that that that's how they wanted it to end and then at the time editorial you know they they completely changed the writer's story you know they wouldn't let them write their own story they made them write the story they wanted which happens more often than not sometimes but
0: there are so many dropped storylines in that saga it's unbelievable i just reread that thing like maybe a year and a half ago Uh, There's a character named Gavin Thorpe you'll never see again. They start building him up as some type of crime boss. You have the third Spider clone. You have another Jackal clone, which do get resolved, but in a very messy and convoluted way. I think the third Parker clone is Spider-Side instead of Suicide, and that's a fun character. They wrangled a new Warriors in at one point. Peter's a clone, then he's not a clone, and then you have the final adventure. Wouldn't that make him the fourth clone? Because I thought
2: Kane was also a clone.
0: Yes. But you didn't know Kane was a Spider-Man clone at the time oh, Spider-Side yeah. shows up. So that's why he was considered the third. Yeah, it's it's, it's insane. We're getting off on a tangent here. But yeah, the, the next, we're going to, I, I want to do a mailbag episode because we got quite a few emails in. So we're trying to make these a lot shorter, like the uh, Nightfall stuff, which was going on three hours at points. God damn. But yes, the therunpod at gmail.com.
2: TheRottenPod at gmail.com.
0: And also Instagram. Like I said, I started uploading stuff there again. It's the underscore run underscore pod. Uh, I got a picture of Abyss calling uh, Quicksilver a simp. So that's (laughs) funny. They got that before uh, the internet caught on to that shit. All right, so that's about going to do it for us. Next episode is going to be the 10th anniversary, and then we'll see if we want to if we're still feeling good about this and want to go ahead and do the uncanny X-Force and the age of apocalypse, mini, uh limited series that came out after that uh, until next time, guys,
2: until next time.
1: Hey, everybody just stay. Oh, I was going to say, just to make sure everybody stays safe out there. <laughs> don't, don't inject Lysol into your veins. Like somebody suggested and stay safe.
0: Who, who, who suggested that Jonathan?
1: Uh,